0: How do you actually know that what you wish (laughs) happens when you pass away actually happens? How do you make sure that your gifts go where you want them to go? How do you make sure the people that you want to take care of with your finances go where it actually needs to go? Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so that you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, David Thompson and Leo Sabo. And in today's episode of Getting Money Right, we're gonna talk about estate planning. And really, we wanna focus on how to execute your estate plan. Uh, How do you actually know that what you wish (laughs) happens when you pass away actually happens. How do you make sure that your gifts go where you want them to go? How do you make sure the people that you want to take care of with your finances go where it actually needs to go? So we're going to lean into that. But before we do, I want to remind everybody, Mm -hmm. we're in the middle of creating this awesome Getting Money Right course. And we're having a lot of fun putting it together. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've been working on a lot of different pieces of that and even just brainstorming higher on getting money right as a whole. And what does that look like? How do we serve more people? So you're going to see less episodes in this season than you normally see. Like we might not post a new episode every week, but that's good because that means that we're working on the course. That's right and that we're building that out. So keep an eye open for a new website, keep an eye open for the course content, that stuff is coming. Mm -hmm. And so if you see uh, shorter episodes, this episode is gonna be a little bit shorter. And if you see less frequent episodes, that is normal, because that means good things are coming.
1: That's right. That's right. And we are still very much focused on serving our audience and helping you in your pursuit of both learning about finances and eventually having that freedom to pursue your true life purpose. That's what we're about. That's what we want to take to the next level. So thank you for being patient with us and thank you for allowing us to work on it and not have the deadline of always producing an, an episode every single week, which takes time and that right now, unfortunately, we can't do both. So we're just choosing to do the thing that I think will serve people better in the long term.
0: Yeah, that's right. We dedicate a certain amount of time every week to building this out to serve people. And the time that we've got right now, we're dedicating to building that course because we know it's going to help us serve a lot more people. So we're just grateful for you guys being a part of this journey. Great. Well, the first thing I want to do is remind you that we did four really great episodes on estate planning. So we're not going to go into estate planning as a whole today. Uh, If you want to learn more about estate planning, and that really means how do I set up things today Mm -hmm. so that when I pass away, everything is taken care of the way I want it to be taken care of, Uh, you can look at episode 26 and 27. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talk about what is an estate plan, why you build one, wills, trusts, probate. Episode 27, we talk about living trusts, uh, medical directives, power of attorney, heirs, and expectations. So we go into all of that in episode 26 and 27. We also had an incredible guest in episode 46 Mm -hmm. and 47. Look how convenient we made that. 26, 27, 46, 47. (laughs) We're just that good. We're just that good. We had an incredible (laughs) guest named Dawn Prushniak, and she came and shared her real life story. And she wrote a book that's very helpful to walk through this process. Mm -hmm. So check out those episodes. Uh, It'll give you a full understanding. But today, Leo and I were talking actually about, you know, what are the little things that people often forget to do to make sure that their estate plan is really executed appropriately?
1: Yeah, that's good, David. I I think one of the things that most people would agree to is that this is not a normal part of our conversation day to day and it's something that we just don't talk about very often and it's one areas of life where we procrastinate the most Mm -hmm. honestly it's because it's one of those plans that it's at the end of our life and we certainly all hope to live to a ripe old age that we just think we have more time and this is something that we can just wait on or just put off so i do encourage you to do it first and foremost it's really important that you have an estate plan it's insurance for your life because if you do nothing then your family will have to figure things out. And this is a true story, David. My brother-in-law, Eric, who lives in Indiana, his father passed away uh, sometime last year, I think in the fall. And his father owned four properties among, of course, having other assets, but four properties. One was in Canada and three in three different states. So my brother-in-law is the one who's initiating and trying to take care of the estate. Well, he didn't have an estate plan, no will, no trust, nothing. So he has to now deal with three probates in three different states, and it's going to take at minimum a couple years to settle everything. Wow! So this is what we leave our family to deal with if we do nothing at all. And so it's really important that you think about this. I know it may be new to you. Maybe you've never considered it, especially if you're a younger person, but no one's guaranteed tomorrow. So this is something that you absolutely need to have. It's not something you deal with every day, but it is something that will protect everything you build throughout your life. So that when you hand that off to the next generation of whether it's your kids, your grandkids, or charities you're supporting, that it's done well, that it's done efficiently, and it's done as quickly as possible with as little cost as possible. So having said that, again, as David said, we've gone through explaining a lot of that in the episodes he mentioned earlier. But we want to talk about what happens once you actually create the estate plan. How do you make sure that what you created and what you've indicated you want to happen through that plan actually happens.
0: Yeah. Well, you've got to think about the estate plan, and I won't go deep into this, but you've got to think of the estate plan almost like a treasure chest or a treasure box that you've got to put things into. Right. And you're going to give that whole box to the successor trustee, the person who's going to manage this trust at the end of your life. You're going to hand them the box. But if you've not put anything into that box, you're handing them an empty box. Now, if you listen to those episodes 26, 27, 46, and 47, you'll learn why you want to put it into a box, what that helps you avoid taxes-wise, what that helps you to set up for an ease of use, of transitioning your assets. So that's all in those episodes. But I want to remind you, you've got to put stuff into the box. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one of those things that we were talking about this morning that is so clearly... Um, it's, it's low hanging fruit, but it's something people just forget to do. Mm -hmm. So if you don't put your home property into the box, your home property is still under your personal name. For me, that'd be David Thompson. This is the personal residence of David Thompson. What I need to do is get a deed and you can do a quick claim deed or a warranty deed, but you have to get a deed and deed that property over into the box. So now the property is owned by, by the living trust right. of David Thompson. Right. And and then when you hand that box to the successor trustee, the person that's going to manage that estate, then they have it all right there. It's Mm -hmm. easy, it's legal, there's a paper trail that follows that movement of property. So, Leo, anything you want to add to that property?
1: Yeah, so the successor trustee, the reason they're called the successor trustee is that they succeed you. Right. Right. So you are the trustee. If you're married, you and your spouse are co-trustees. And now, what happens when you pass away is that responsibility of managing the estate for the purpose of actually closing and executing the estate is given to that successive trustee. Now, most people will choose a family member, maybe an older son, it may be a daughter, or it might be a friend, or even a corporate trustee. But that person's responsibility will be to make sure that all the assets that are within the living trust can be liquidated. So property sold, cars sold, bank accounts closed, life insurance clean, uh, you know, brought in, all of that. But this person has all the authority to sign for everything, to make sure every transaction happens. You will not need an attorney to do this because you have that legal authority and right to sign for everything. This is why a living trust is a better option because that successor trustee is empowered to do anything and everything that's necessary to make sure that that box is completely taken care of, that everything inside of it is liquidated, all your debts are paid, And then all your gifts are made to your family or charities, wherever you're leaving it.
0: That's right. And I remember, you know, you've got to do that with your home property. You've got to do that with your bank accounts. If you want your bank accounts to easily be accessible by your successor trustee, Um, that, that person cannot access your bank accounts unless they have it in the box. Or they have to go through a long process of getting the death certificate, reaching out to the bank, telling the bank that you've passed away. The bank has to acknowledge that, then has to give them access. It's a whole separate long process unless you take those bank accounts and put them into the name of the trust. Mm -hmm. Then the bank just says, oh, you're the successor. You're the manager. You're the one that received this trust. Okay, great. Here we go. And they just give direct access. Right. all of that matters. Uh, th- th- it's, it's what makes this process really simple, but it's why you plan ahead. So first and foremost, you have to fill the box. You mm-hmm. have to fill the trust. Cash yep. accounts, property deeds, cars potentially.
1: Yeah, any vehicle. It could be RVs, motorcycles, anything that has a title.
0: Yep. Yep. And then uh, retirement accounts, you can set up the beneficiary to be the living trust. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can also do this with insurance as well. The beneficiary of an insurance payout could be the living trust. Right. Uh, Now there are a few cases where you might actually choose to have it go directly to someone, but overall the living trust is set up there intentionally and you're gonna have all of the data and information around that of exactly how you want that to be executed So it's a great place to put that money so that the successor can just manage it.
1: Yeah, the only caveat here would be if you and your spouse are alive and one of you passes away and both of you have life insurance, then obviously you would want to make your spouse the first beneficiary. the first beneficiary. The second then would be the trust so that if both of you pass away, then the trust gets paid the the life insurance policy uh, amounts. So that's the only time that you would not want to put it directly into the trust. You'd want to make your spouse first, but then the trust should be somewhere, second or third, depending on how you do it. The other reason you want to do it this way is that you want to make sure that someone is in charge of making sure that that policy pays out. Right. And if it's not included in your trust, if it's not part of the list of assets, then your successor trustee technically has no reason, well, maybe has no obligation, I should say, to go after it. And they may not even be aware of it. So it's important that you include it and that you make the trust a beneficiary of it.
0: That's great. Well, first and foremost, we talked about getting your estate plan funded. The next thing is to make sure that your plan is actually then executed according to your wishes. Mm-hmm. And this starts with choosing a successor. This right. starts with choosing somebody who will receive the box, the living trust. When you pass away, it will no longer be a living trust, right? Does it change at that point, Leo? Yeah, and it become? becomes
1: an irrevocable yes. living trust.
0: That means legally... Yep. That the person who receives it cannot change it at that point. Not at all. They they can only execute it. They cannot change it. Yes. So when you're alive, it is a living trust and you can change it however you want because you're the trustee.
1: It's actually a revocable living trust, which means you can revoke or amend it. That's really what That's why it's such a great document because if something happens and you want to add a beneficiary, let's say, then you can do that. And any time while you're alive, you can make any changes as often as you need to make those changes. However, your successor trustee does not have the same ability. They can execute your estate, but they cannot change it because it's irrevocable at that point.
0: So you want to choose somebody that you know you can trust. Mm. You want to choose somebody who has a high degree of integrity. You want to choose somebody who will take it seriously and will really honor the responsibility of Mm. executing your wishes and it's funny because sometimes that's not, sometimes it's a family member, sometimes it's not. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a close friend, sometimes it's a family member, sometimes uh, it's a third party entity that has a legal obligation, like a professional, mm-hmm. you know, a CPA, an attorney. Now, when you do that, you have to pay. CPA hourly rates, Mm -hmm. you know, attorney hourly rates. So you have to think there are some banks that do this, not very many anymore, but you know, they would charge a certain amount to execute the trust.
1: Yeah. Sometimes it's a, it's a percentage
0: of the estate. Right. So, so be aware that when you choose a successor trustee, you're actually giving them a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. Because they have to now read through all the documents, follow up, and make sure that the finances are executed appropriately. And it depends on the size of your estate and what all you have happening, but. You're giving them some work to do. Mm -hmm. So you got to choose somebody that you trust to do work on your behalf when you're gone Mm -hmm. that will do it with integrity. I highly recommend, I highly recommend compensating that person.
1: Actually, there's language built into the trust where the person can reasonably uh, reimburse themselves for whatever costs there are. That's built into the language. Because everybody understands that this person has to take time off work potentially, maybe fly somewhere to handle some of the assets, so it's reasonable this person's gonna have expenses, and those expenses should come from the estate. But there's a difference between leaving a gift or just knowing that they can reimburse themselves. The important thing here is to educate the successor trustee, Yes, right? We wanna make sure that the first time the successor trustee sees our trust is not after we're gone. That somehow, prior to that, we sit down with them, maybe invite them to dinner one day, and after dinner, you sit down, you open up that document, the living trust document, you read through the first few pages, help them understand where the list of assets are, help them understand their responsibility, help them understand that should they have expenses, that whatever is reasonable for them to reimburse themselves or the cost of, let's say they have to put in 30 hours of, of work to settle your estate. Well, maybe it's at $75 an hour and they can reimburse themselves for that. So it's okay. Let them know this is something you expect them to do. You would not be disappointed if they did In fact, you would be disappointed if they did it for nothing because mm-hmm. that would be a burden to them. So just let them know that that's their, their ability to do it. The other thing is uh, as you sit down with them and help them to see it, they'll understand their role better because they'll understand what, what they need to do, how they need to do it, and also as far as keeping records. Depending on who you have as beneficiaries, you might have an organization you want to support. Maybe it's your church. Maybe it's a mission organization. And let's say your family, who you are also leaving a portion of your estate to, they may not agree with your choice. Your successor trustee needs to understand they're they're not there to please the beneficiaries. They're there to execute your trust. So if you decide to give a portion of your estate to your church or to a ministry, it really doesn't matter what your family feels about that. You want to make sure that your wishes are taken care of, that, that that trust is executed based on your desires. It doesn't matter whether your family likes it or not. And you want to make sure that your successor trustee keeps good records because if anyone in their family decides to contest the living trust, in other words, they may not agree with something and they want to contest it and say, well, I think my parents were coerced into giving to the church or coerced into giving to this organization. Well, first they need to understand that if they should contest it and they lose, meaning that they have no basis for it, they stand to lose their portion of the benefit. Yes. They stand to forfeit their portion. So that hopefully will persuade them not to go in on a path simply just to, to cause issues. But again, it comes back to the success of trustee. If they keep good records, if they communicate those, those uh, desires that you have to the beneficiaries, then there wouldn't be any problem. Everything's going to be settled and your estate will be executed in the way you want it to be executed. And that's really important. You need to equip and educate this person so that they know how to act out when it's time to to act.
0: That's right. I remember having somebody ask me to be their successor trustee, the person that would manage the trust at the end of it. And we didn't have any relationship. This person just knew I was a good money manager. And they came and said, hey, I looked at my family Nobody I'm choosing there. I looked at my <laughs> friends. Nobody I'm choosing there. And um and so they said, you know, I trust you. Would you manage this? And I don't have a lot of relational equity with them. So I didn't have an emotional reason mm-hmm. to, to help them. Now, I mean, like, I love to serve people. So, of course, I want to serve people. but But that's a big ask. Yes, it is. Like, I was looking at the person's assets thinking, you know, you're giving me probably over a hundred hours of work when you pass away mm-hmm. and I said if you want me to do this you need to compensate me like not just not just like oh here's ten bucks an hour or here's uh, you know a thousand dollars as a thank you I'm like you're gonna have to really recognize that you're asking me to do a lot of work to honor your wishes and your family and your friends and the charities that you want to give to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and if I were to do that well, I would have to dedicate an extended period of time and we would have to get to know each other better because I would have to actually know your wishes and your wants. Right. And I was looking at their estate and I said, you can afford to pay somebody because they wanted me to do it. And I said, but it's going to be a pretty high dollar amount because Mm -hmm. this is a big deal. I want to encourage you, if that happens and you're looking for a third party, be be generous with that person. And I know it sounds a little self serving in this situation, but I'm saying you want that person to be happy to work for you mm-hmm. because they are executing your wishes. You want them to, to think of you fondly. You want them to be excited to work on it. You don't want them to be miserable as they're like, Oh, I've got to now I have to go to the bank and talk to the bank about this. And now I've got to go over here and, and, and you know, write a check for thirty thousand dollars to this charity, and now I've got to go over here and make sure that, you know, the the kids get a hundred thousand dollars. Like You don't want them grumbling as they do it. You want this to be really a celebration of your life. So if you're struggling financially and it's not, you know, within your means to do a a big dollar amount, then find another way to relationally compensate this person or make sure that there's a trust that's built there. But if you're doing okay, don't try to skimp on this because I I would turn it down. I'd be like, no, I'm not going to do that unless you're really gonna compensate me well for my time because honestly my time is really valuable. Yeah. I get to do getting money right. Like I get to help people for fun. Like I'm not gonna do something that's miserable with my time unless I'm compensated really well. And I'm not saying it's miserable. I'm just saying you have to be aware that you're asking them to do work.
1: Right. And and that's why the language is built into the trust that the person can pay themselves for that. Not just reimburse but actually pay themselves a certain amount. And that has to be reasonable. So I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have. And then yeah, you decide. Upside. But I do think it matters based on what the complexity of the assets Oh, absolutely. Uh, are. absolutely. Because, because if you don't think about that, now it might be that the estate is only worth $150,000. Well, obviously you don't want to make sure this person doesn't take a third of it simply to, to execute a couple of asset uh, transfers. And that would not be right. But again, and they couldn't really do that legally. Um, they can't do that. So it, the, the language is built to protect both parties. Yes. But again, what we're trying to emphasize to you is after you fund your trust, make sure that your successor trustee, the one you choose, is educated. You chose the right person. You've spoken and helped this person understand their role so that everything will happen mm-hmm. according to your wishes.
0: That's right. Well, the final thing that we want to just remind everyone is is that there is a legal obligation um, of the person managing it, that successor trustee, right? There's a legal obligation that they that they fulfill your wishes. I mm-hmm. mean, once you've named them in that role, they've accepted and uh, you give them the trust documents or or they they receive the trust documents, that box filled with stuff at the end of your life um, when when you've passed away and it's become an irrevocable an unchangeable trust at that point, Um, there's legal expectations and there's ramifications. And it's not just legal, but it's also moral and ethical. That's right. And so we just want to remind uh, anybody that is a successor, trustee, or as you choose somebody, this person will be legally obligated to fulfill those wishes.
1: And it's important for you as a trustee of your trust to let them know that. Yes. You cannot assume they understand that. You cannot assume they will do that you need to make sure when you ask them if they should be or if they wish to be your successor trustee, if they'll accept that role, that you actually let them know this is gonna be a legal obligation that you are taking on. And I expect you to follow it exactly as we have this prescribed in our document. And that way, this person knows I have a legal obligation and at the same time also have a moral and ethical obligation. You know, sometimes this comes in when there's a gift especially to a, let's say, a religious organization where the rest of the family may not be of the same faith. And that successor trustee needs to be able to navigate that to yes. say, look, if, if David passes away and he wants 20% of his estate to go to this church, then that's exactly what's going to happen. I don't really mm-hmm. care who likes it or not. It's not about what you like. It's not about what you wish. It's about what David and Ashley have chosen. That's right. And this is where you have to make sure you educate the successor trustee. Because otherwise, they may actually cave in to the pressure of the family. It's like, oh well, you, know, you shouldn't get to that church, and you know, I think that church was manipulating David and Ashley. And it's like, no, no, right. this, this is matter. their wishes. This doesn't matter. Right. This is their wishes. They were adults. They made the decision. You need to follow that. So just make sure that your successor trustee understands this. Yeah,
0: there are you know celebrities that leave. I don't. I couldn't say the numbers, but that leave hundreds of thousands of dollars or to millions, their or, or millions, but they leave hundreds of thousands of dollars to their pets yeah. and like to pay for nannies to take care of their dogs yep. until they pass away. Like, like that's not something that I would, you know, dedicate that much money to. Mm-hmm. But if I was a successor trustee of a celebrity that had dedicated a hundred thousand dollars to take care of their pet, I would execute the trust as right. it, it doesn't matter if I agree with it or not. I would make sure it happened because i have a legal obligation and so you just want to make sure that whoever you're handing this obligation to realizes that um, obviously they're compensated well and that you actually filled them a box filled with stuff yes that was the very first point of this make sure that you fund your estate and when we say fund that just simply means take all of your assets your property your cars your cash accounts put it into the box That way it avoids probate. You save yourself a bunch of time and energy. You make it as easy as possible for the successor trustee. Uh, I hope this has been really helpful. Uh, I really do want to encourage you to go back. If this is something that's piquing your interest, Go back and listen to episode 26 and 27 because we walk through everything on estate plans, living trusts. At uh, 46 and 47 is about getting your affairs in order. And Don Prushniak is incredible at walking through that. And so we had a lot of fun with those episodes. And as we were talking this morning, we really want to talk about that funding and the obligation of the successor trustee, but also just remind you, we have great content, not only on this, but a whole bunch of other stuff in the last 160 episodes That's of right. Getting Money Right.
1: That's right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. If you enjoyed it, do us a huge favor and review, rate, give us a thumbs up, Yes, um, share us on
0: social media. Five stars on iTunes, Apple. (laughs) That's
1: right. Because when you do that, it helps us to have a broader reach and a further reach uh, with this content. And uh, we really do want to share it with more people. We think it's helpful and we hope that it benefits you, but also that you'll share it so others can benefit as well. So you can find the show notes to this podcast, an additional podcast, obviously, on com, where you'll also find some resources that you can use. They're free resources for you to learn and use for managing your money better, get out of debt, all kinds of tools that you can use. And then, David, we're going to go to learn more about what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Well, soon you'll be able to go to a website uh, called Getting Money Right. <laughs> so soon... I'm going to be pointing you right there because that's where I'm going to be putting all the articles, um, the blogs, the things that we're building. Leo and I have so much cool stuff going on there. So it's not up yet, but I'm just letting you know, getting money right is going to be the place to go. Uh, right now, I've got StewardshipPastors.com, where I serve a lot of stewardship pastors around the country. Uh, they just want to learn how to implement good financial principles in their churches and teach their congregation what the Bible says about money, because the Bible has thousands of verses that talk about, when I say thousands, well over 2,000. Personally, I think it's looking towards 3,000. I've done all this research. So well over 2,000 verses that talk about money, and I want to help pastors that have a strong belief to share with their congregation what the Bible says about how to be a good manager. And it's not just money, it's a whole bunch of other stuff. So stewardshippastors.com, and uh, and I love working with Leo and pulling stuff from leosebo.com. So hang out with Leo, hang out with me, and, uh, and I'm so grateful for you guys spending time with us. Uh, we look forward to having you join us next time. So together, we, we can, can keep, keep getting, getting money right. right.
1: to make sure when you ask them if they should be or if they wish to be your successor trustee if they'll accept that role that you actually let them know this is going to be a legal obligation that you are taking on.